As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Steve Turney hosts a great podcast geared toward mental health marketers called The Boost. Steve, tell listeners what you cover on the show. The Boost is our podcast, and the tagline is Conversations with People Promoting Mental Health, and that's what it is. So it's marketers, company executives, therapists, and mental health advocates talking about what they're doing to move this industry and this important thing called mental health forward. Amazing. And where can people subscribe? I'm big on LinkedIn, so you can find us there, just uh, slash Steve Turney, or you can find the show at marketingpodcasts.net or search for The Boost wherever you get your podcasts. You heard him. Go subscribe. It's episode 17 of The Boost with my guest, Gabrielle Giuliano Villani, CEO of GJV Consulting and Training. Let's go. All right. Welcome to The Boost conversations with people promoting mental health. And I couldn't be happier to be here with Gabrielle Giuliano Villani. And she is the founder, CEO of GJV Consulting and Training. And we're going to cover a lot of ground. Uh, we've actually been having some fun in, in the pre-show here. Um, some, some laughs already. So um, this is good vibes. We're going to have a good chat. Um, Gabrielle, how are you today? I am doing good. I am kind of boiling down here in Florida. I was just telling Steve before, I just got back from a trip to the Oregon coast, which was beautiful. And it was really nice to have some 60 degree weather, but I'm back in Florida near the ocean where I belong. (laughs) (laughs) So you, you said you don't love the cold though. I can't stand the cold. It's actually, I will say this, I do like it for like a week. It's kind of nice to like see the leaves change and a little snow on the ground during Christmas, but I don't miss living in Denver where it snowed for eight months and I would have to scrape my windshield at 7 a.m. freezing my ass off. I do not miss that at all. Why not? That sounds delightful. <laughs> I know. I just, I really sold it there too. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I do love Denver, I, but I've only visited. I've never, never lived there. I've got some good friends in Fort Collins and good friends in Littleton. So I get out there. And then my dad's whole side of the family is from Portland, Oregon. And oh. I do love the, I love the fall. That's my, that's my season. Like, um, you know, when it gets into winter, yeah, I can, I can deal with it. But, um, 
I'm, I guess I'm kind of fair weather. I've lived a lot in San Diego and, you know, and it's like you step out of your door and it's like, well, 72 degrees and sunny again. I guess I'll (laughs) go body surfing again. (laughs) And that sounds amazing. I love the fall too. And even in Florida, when it's like hot as hell still, I'm like drinking a pumpkin spice latte because I'm like, I I have to, (laughs) I need to enjoy the fall, even if it's hot. (laughs) Yeah. I do that once in a while. And I, I just can't help but think that I'm addicted to, uh, not just coffee, but like a certain experience of coffee because yeah, it'll be in the middle of humid, you know, summer in the Southeast and I'm like holding a hot latte. Like, I'm, uh, you know, I'm like, I wilt in the heat. So I'm like, what am I doing carrying a hot (laughs) beverage right now? There's something about it. Like I do the same thing. And I actually, one of my like routines is I sit outside by my pool every morning and I have my coffee and my husband is like, why are you drinking hot coffee? It's 98 degrees. (laughs) Like I just, I don't know the way it smells, the way it feels in my hand. Like it it needs to be hot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there's totally, there's something about it. We'll, 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 we're going to solve for this by the end of this podcast is, is why when it's hot and humid outside, do we still have hot coffees in the morning? Maybe it's ritual. You know, there's like a big thing about that. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine and he, he does this thing where he just goes for a walk to, he goes to a coffee shop. Actually, he works from home and he goes and gets a coffee. And so that whole like walk routine for him is like his, it's his new commute. Like it's his cadence yeah. because he was realizing he'd get out of bed, kind of get ready for the day and not feel like he was in work mode yet. I love that so much. And we'll probably talk about more about this later, but <laughs> rituals and routines are really important. And that sounds like a good one. Ooh, okay. We're getting into your wheelhouse already. Okay. So b- before we launch in, there's two things we do just right out of the bat. We do the virtual hug and the shameless plug. So the virtual hug is just a way to start with a moment of gratitude. So um, tell us somebody or something you're you're thankful for or grateful for today. I am grateful for my dog, Lucy. She's my coworker. She's taking a nap right now, but um, I really missed her when I was on this trip last week. I was gone for like 10 days and she's she's my little buddy and she is one of the things that calms me down and I love being back in my office and having her sleeping right next to me. Nice. She's put in a big morning of work and now she's like, I need a nap. That's what I need. It's been (laughs) a few hours of being awake. What kind of dog I is she? I wish I could live my life like that. <laughs> she is a Chorky. So she is a Chihuahua, Yorkie, Terrier mix, probably a whole bunch of other things. We adopted her. So she's like eight pounds and um, very stubborn, but I love her anyway. Okay. Are you stubborn? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Shocking. <laughs> I mean, it's like a lot of people, you know, somehow we pick dogs or they pick us so that we're like, yeah, we're, we're like similar, similar vibes, similar spirits or something like that. Yep. That's totally yeah. how it works. People even say that we look alike, which is kind of weird. I don't see that, but I guess apparently we do, which I'm okay with. She's super cute. So, <laughs> well, if you send me a photo of Lucy, we'll cut it into the recording. Perfect. What What are you grateful for? Oh, 
gosh. Um, well, uh, I mean, you got me thinking about my dog. My dog's, um, yeah, he's, he, I'm thankful for Newman. Um, good old Newman. He's also Aww. a lot like me. He's a, he's a golden doodle, big, goofy mess. Um, but we had a, my wife and I had a first dog when, when we first got married and I knew nothing about training animals mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that dog was a literal and figurative bitch in every sense of the word. It just <laughs> ran our lives, maybe dislocated my wife's shoulder, would oh chase God. after cars and, and children. <laughs> and it was, it was all our fault. You know, it's like one of those things like, Oh, sorry, we got a dog. That's bad. It's like, no, you're a horrible owner. And, um, and it's, it reminds me of, yeah. So anyway, th that dog lived a long time and we loved it. We loved it. Her name was journey. And when that dog died, I said to myself, okay, one, if we're ever going to have kids <laughs> and two, <laughs> if we ever want to have friends, we have to do a better job. So I hit the books hard and, uh, hired trainers and trained myself, you know, as 99% of it. And then almost gave the dog back one time. It was just almost too much. It almost broke me, but I stuck with it. And we have, and I, I mean, it sounds like bragging or whatever, but we have the best dog in the neighborhood. Like Aww. it's, yeah, it's, he's just on a verbal chain and it was almost all love. You know, it was like a lot of just making sure the dog knew he was safe and providing verbal fences and, um, you know, boundaries for the animal and commands and, and responsibilities. So I learned a lot through that process. And I'm, I'm really thankful for my dog because it, he taught me. He did. Just like people, we also need to feel safe and have boundaries. <laughs> yeah. It actually taught me a lot about parenting, you know, yeah. um, because there's lots of different strategies for parenting and, and I'm not going to say like what I think is right or wrong. I just thinking, um, we do see our daughter in a, a tremendous, um, number of different social settings and, and environments where, um, I do see the training that I did with my dog come through in, in the output and it, it sounds funny to compare it, but yeah, being hugged and held and knowing you're safe and, um, knowing where the fences are and all it's mm -hmm. all those basics, you know, um, play, you know, um, my dog was a master, uh, like Frisbee catcher. Like I could wing this Aww. thing like 50 <laughs> yards and he would go get it. And, um, and he did that until, uh, one day, like his stomach flipped and he, we had to do this surgery and everything. So he lost the, um, lost the ability to play that game. So, oh my God. Yeah. It's wild. It's another reminder. Like <laughs> play is so important and do it while you can, you know, it's like, you don't know what you got till it's gone, but yeah. Yeah. Lots of life lessons from animals. Yeah. There's a book in there somewhere, probably. <laughs> so, so give us the shameless plug. Tell us what you're doing with GJV consulting and training and, um, you know, maybe the beyond burnout retreat, whatever you want to brag about all the cool stuff you're doing. Yeah. So th this is always so hard for me. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, so almost everybody just, says that too. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, it is hard. It's hard for me to talk about myself. So, but I do want to, because I hope that what I have gone through can inspire other people to not go through the same thing 
or to know that you can live your dream life too. So I know that sounds cheesy, but I was doing a training a couple weeks ago and somebody put in the chat and they were like, I am so jealous of you that it seems like you're just always on vacation and always traveling. I'm like, well, I worked hard to get here, but you can too. Like I truly never thought that as a social worker, I could be doing what I'm doing. So I, uh, I had a group practice. I was in private practice. I had worked a lot of really difficult jobs before that in child protective services and as a victim's advocate, which is why I went into private practice in the first place. I grew a group practice to seven figures, which I, again, never thought I'd be able to do that. And then I woke up one morning and I was like, I fucking hate this. <laughs> and I, this is not what I want to do. Um, and so I decided to sell it and I was actually approached first. So I sold it and um, that was in December, 2021. And I totally done with all of that as of December, 2022. And I decided to retire from therapy. Um, and now because of my own burnout and everything that I've gone through, I am doing the Beyond Burnout Retreat. So we are going to be in Belize in January 2024, the 25th through the 30th, and we are going to dig really a lot deeper in how we can move through burnout, the tools and techniques that we need to use on a daily basis through nervous system regulation. There's going to be lots of lots of fun, but also meditation. I'm also a certified sound healer, so we'll be doing some of that. And the resort is right on the McCall River in San Ignacio, so it's beautiful. I'm, I just actually did a site visit there a couple weeks ago, and I am just so excited and so thankful to be able to do that. Um, so that's part of what I do. And the other part of what I do is training, speaking, as you know, um, consulting and coaching on with therapists and with anybody really on how to prevent burnout, how to scale your business and how to sell your business. Huge. Okay. Just you a couple of things. Just, you know, <laughs> just a few things. Yeah. Mostly it's like vacation life, except for the 90 hours that you work. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and I try and do those in Costa Rica or Belize or somewhere else if I can. Mm. <laughs> I've got a friend trying to get me to Costa Rica and uh, I've never been, but that's on my, that's on my short list. Um, but you said you we're going it. to Belize and it made me think, oh, I, I, am I going? <laughs> That'd be yeah, nice. you're coming with me, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's so nice of you. <laughs> I invite you on my podcast. You take me to Belize. This is a fair it's, deal. It's a mutual thing. I mean, maybe I will buy a ticket. I was on your website and like clicking around and, you know, like there's the call to action there. I'm like, well, what if I did click through? And But, you know, um, I've experienced. Uh, yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> no, no. Go ahead. There's what? <laughs> I was just going to say, like, if you're listening to this and you're wondering, because I think a lot of people, when they think of retreats also, they think of, like, it's only for women. This is co-ed, so I already have a couple of men signed up who it's going to be good. So just saying, there's oh, space for you. Interesting. I, uh, I I didn't put that together that it would be more of a, uh, like a female demographic that would go for something like this. But, um, it looks, I mean, it looks amazing to me. It looks fun. Um, and I've burned out for sure in my career at different points. Um, and one of them was at a, uh, like at a software as a service company, very startup mode. It was very fun. Mm -hmm. Um, incredibly exciting culture and exciting product we were building at the time. And, 
you can just get caught up in the work. You know, it's like all of a sudden I'm working and responding to emails on Saturdays and Sundays and nights and mornings and extending myself to the point that, um, you know, it just, I couldn't sustain it. What, um, talk a little bit about your experience with, with burnout. Yeah. So the first time that I was burnt out, but didn't know it was when I was working as a caseworker in child protective services. And, that was just kind of the culture there. So I didn't really know anything else. It was also like my first big girl job after I got my master's and everybody worked a ton. Everybody always had their phones on. It was normal to go in on the weekends and see other people writing their court reports. So I just thought that that's like what you do as a good social worker. You're supposed to always be on and answering and all of those things. But um, it was making me sick. At the end, my hair was falling out. I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. I'd gained a ton of weight. I couldn't sleep. Um, I was having like digestive issues. And, and now looking back, I know that that was burnout. But at that point, um, I, I didn't know that. And I also kind of felt stuck because I thought I only have a master's. I don't have my license yet. Nobody else will hire me. Where else am I going to find a job where I can have the flexibility? Even though looking back, I didn't really have that much flexibility. But at the time, I thought I did. And my supervisor quit with no notice. And when she did that, it was like, okay, well, if she can do it, she's been here for 20 years, then I'm going to leave too. Yeah. So I did find a better job, um, a much easier job that I actually really loved. I was working for Humana as a care manager, an in-home care manager. Hmm. But um, they were doing reduction in workforce. So I knew that my time was limited after I'd been there for about, I think it was there for like two or three years. And um, a colleague of mine was going into private practice. And I was like, well, maybe I want to do that. Working for myself sounds fun. <laughs> That's literally how I started my practice. So <laughs> I did that. And because of the niche that I had, I grew really quickly. And um, a Zumba student of mine actually suggested I hire somebody. And again, I had like those same thoughts of like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this. I'm a social worker. I'm not like someone's boss. I'm not an entrepreneur. But uh, I figured it out because I was seeing like over 30 clients a week in their homes. And that went really well. And it just kind of took off from there. Um, but it grew really quickly. And I... Um, I just made some poor decisions looking back. And those are the things now that I help other people make sure that they don't do. We just grew too fast. Um, I would sometimes hire out of desperation, really, because I needed people because we had so many clients who needed help who maybe weren't the best fit. And I didn't have good boundaries for myself. I hadn't done the deeper work on myself and my people pleasing and things that I needed to change. And so I just ended up being overextended and really resentful. And um, I just knew after I'd already been in this place for a couple of years that not only was running the practice not for me anymore and burning me out, but therapy was too. And I didn't realize how much I was taking on from my clients. And I was, I've also been diagnosed with ADHD kind of recently. And I think that that played a lot into it too, that I was masking a lot and didn't really understand about myself and how I work. Um, so now I've done a ton of work <laughs> to make this schedule and this life that really supports me. 
Good for you. Thanks. Your group, your group practice reminds me of my first dog. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, totally resent- the same. I'm, I'm resentful, and you're hurting me. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Totally. You you mentioned you, you kind of came to hate it. Let's let's talk about the the pain and the problem so that we can kind of bridge to um all your learnings. And uh what did you hate about it? What did you find yourself kind of loathing as you got into it once you because you overcame imposter syndrome, you you know, you overcame a lot of things. Um so kudos to you for just doing it, you know. Um but there's always this idea of like games and game, like how the games we play in life, you know? And, yeah. and for me, I see it over and over again where um, people do it in, in threes. So the first time they're playing a game and they don't even know they're in the game, you know? And then the second time they play, they know they're in the game, but they lose badly. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the third time they play the game, they're like, Mm-mm, I know how this ends. And when you, when you know how it ends, then you know how to begin. So it, it sounds like you've gone through all of that. Like you've leveled up. So talk, but talk about kind of what, what were you feeling and kind of the dark moments there? Yeah, I think the darkest parts of that was the apathy. And I truly, I always get really nervous when I say this. I like don't want anybody to like file a grievance against me or something, but it's true. And these are the things I need to be talked about is that, I really didn't care. I was in session with clients and I would be looking at the clock and I would be like, oh, it's 1231. How are we going to do this for another 29 minutes? What am I going to talk about? Like, I can't hear this story anymore. Um, I didn't care about my business at the end. I was like, don't care. Just like, I can't. I am tired of repeating the same shit. I just if somebody gives me a dollar, they can have this whole thing. Like that is just how over it I was. And it's because I didn't put good things in place and good boundaries and better systems. And I did towards the end, which actually started to help. But at that point, I had already made the decision that like this wasn't for me anymore. Um, And some of that was just not delegating appropriately. And so that's always a big thing I talk about with my coaching and consulting clients. And um, you can't do everything. And so I actually had this conversation with someone yesterday because she's having a hard time delegating and she's a group practice owner, a pretty large group practice, and she is still doing way too much. And it like it just reminds me of me. And I'm like, what are the things that you do that somebody else could do at 80 percent and it would be fine? Because it's never going to be 100% if you're not doing it. So what could be 80% and it will be okay so that you can let go of that? And I did start to learn that lesson towards the end. But there's also things that you can't delegate as a business owner. You're, it's always going to be on you at the end of the day. And so some of those things I just couldn't deal with anymore or I didn't want to. I had a really hard time like managing staff. I'm just not good at that. I... I'm very hands-off, which is not great as far as leadership goes <laughs> in some cases. Some cases it can be, but in some cases it can't be. And so I just had a really like delegative leadership style where I'm like, here you go, just do your thing. And people would take advantage of that 
or um, they wouldn't do what they were supposed to do, even though we had had multiple conversations about it. So I didn't like the disciplining. And yeah, just through all of that, I was like, you know, not for me anymore. I love helping other group practice owners <laughs> make do their thing and grow and scale, but it's not for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who, um, yeah, there's, there's <laughs> a lot of stuff there, huh? A lot, a lot there. <laughs> I don't know if we have enough time. Um, I know. <laughs> uh, no, that's awesome. I, um, it's thought provoking is what it is. So I'm just trying to kind of figure out where to start. And, um, I guess where I would start is two, two places. One is that it's really encouraging to me as somebody who has this little startup business uh, that I'm working on. And, uh, for you to talk about, you know, whether it's people pleasing or sort of a laissez faire hands off kind of marketing or management style, mm -hmm. um, you know, I can fall into those buckets at times. And so to see somebody succeed, um, is really encouraging in spite of what you yourself might look at as a weakness or, a, a you know, a, a failing or something like that. And it's really smart to delegate. Of course, I love your 80% rule. <clears throat> um, one, just because it stops high performers from looking for perfection with their next yeah. hire. You know, I had to make my first hire this year with a fractional business development support person. And she's amazing. Like she's awesome. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've just had time in the game. So I just know a lot of people and have a network and it takes time to build that up and mm -hmm. you can't, you just can't rush it. You know, you just have to give people time to build that network up and yeah. play the long game. Um, so what was something, what was something you delegated or you like took off your plate that, um, when you help other practices, they, their eyes kind of open to what they might be able to delegate first. Like, are there some common trends or common systems that you plug in? I look at the things that you as the business owner, like you don't need to be doing. So for me, um, the first thing that I delegated, and this is from the very, very beginning when I started my practice was bookkeeping. I get a lot of people who are just starting their private practice and they're trying to do it on their own. And I'm like, why do you want to do that? Are you a bookkeeper? Are you good with numbers? Cause I fucking suck at it. And I don't want to know, like, I just want somebody to like, give me the PL and tell me like, I don't want to deal with that. So, and even some like larger practices still are like, yeah, I do that. I'm like, no, that's, uh, -uh. we have people who do that for us and we pay them and we're happy to do that. Yeah. So that's a really big one. Um, I think just the, I call this an assistant clinical director, but some people will have like a clinical supervisor or an admin, but those like little things that take time throughout the day, you don't need to be doing that. You don't need to be checking people's calendars, have your admin do that, have your clinical supervisor do that. Um, I had my assistant clinical supervisor like checking people's notes, signing off on people's notes if we needed to do that. He would do some onboarding for me. So things that can and even onboarding, you could just record a video of yourself and, you know, have the new person watch it. But um, 
yeah, there are just like a lot of little things as a business owner that just kind of add up in time. When you take a look at it and do some like task analysis, it's like I spent two hours of my day on like, I don't know, responding to random emails. Like your admin could do that. If people are reaching out to you for marketing or like scheduling, or we want to have you do this talk here or whatever, like your admin can manage all of those things so that you can do the things that you enjoy doing. Hopefully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know what you recommend, but you can, you can get virtual admins, you know, fractional virtual yep. admins that will do it for two hours every morning for you and, and kind of right size the budget. Um, but the people who come into my, inbox with an admin or an assistant seem like more often than not, uh, pretty productive people, yes. you know, it's like they got their stuff together. I'm always a little bit impressed. Like, okay, yeah. Happy to work through an assistant and then accounting. Yeah. I mean, anything with a spreadsheet, I love to geek out on analytics and mm -hmm. I do not love to geek out on building the spreadsheet of all the things, right. whether it's yes. accounting or project <laughs> management. Uh, I'm like, just get yep. to the fine, like, just show me. And so then I yep. can start to vision, you know, and then I can start to build for the future, not my strength. So while you're talking, I'm noting like, oh yeah, I should do those <laughs> things sometimes. I'm the same way. I, I like to look at the spreadsheet and see the final product and understand, mm -hmm. you know, where some of the business is coming from or the streams of income and blah, blah, blah. But I, I don't want to be the one to build it out because I'm not good at that. So I, and I know that the things that I'm not good at, somebody else should do for me. Totally. Yeah. And they'll probably do 80% of what you could do, or maybe for, in my case, a lot better, you know, um, <laughs> me too, <laughs> yeah. but I've, I do, I do struggle with like holding on. I don't know what it is. Like I, I was competitive athlete for a long time and high performer. And so it's hard to delegate. It's hard to, there's something, I don't know. It's, it might be my ego. Uh, it might be, um, you know, a combination of things, uh, fear of failure sort of masked as protection mm -hmm. or something like that. Like I'm working through that idea because like you said, when you, uh, sure you made, made some hires, you know, to meet the demand and maybe rush some of those, but I do firmly believe and curious what you think about, um, the logarithmic or exponential opportunities we get when we surround ourselves with a team of people who are, building something together rather than, you know, the, the solo, the solo person out there running. Um, you mm -hmm. know, it's like, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, um, is the quote. But what do you think about that when it comes to kind of the solopreneur, a single, you know, person company versus, um, some of the gains that you saw when you had people around you? That is a really good perspective because I also think that even though maybe some of those hires were rushed and maybe not the best for me, I think that they still brought value to my business and to our team. And so we still, you know, I'm thinking of one of them in particular who maybe was a challenge for me to work with as far as like the expectations that I had, but she also had amazing. Um, she worked really well with our clients. So she had been working with older adults her whole career. And that's somebody who I really needed. And the clients really loved her. And so that's 
always amazing, right? Like we want our clients to have a good experience and to be around people that they trust and are safe with. Um, and then, you know, they go back and they tell the referral source, like I have this amazing therapist from this company and that just continues that way. So even though there were some challenges and difficulties, I always think that there are opportunities also. And then she got to be at a place which, even though it didn't work out in the end, you know, she even told me like, I'm grateful for this. I am around people who I can learn from because we did a lot of training and case consultation and supervision. And so she really valued that too. Um, And even now as, you know, somebody who is a solopreneur, I still value collaboration because community is one of, and connection are one of my really big values. So I'm alone, but I love working with other people. I love building relationships. That's how I built my business. I didn't even have a website for like the first couple of years. And so somebody the other day said like going into doctor's offices to market your practice is like modern day vacuum salesman. I was like, well, it worked for me. I've also done consulting for mental health startups recently, and I still did that. And that's how we got a lot of our contracts. So I am really big on relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this. That's fascinating. So it was just, you would literally like cold call into, into, uh, practices or into doctor's offices as a way to grow. Cause that was my next question. It's like, how did you grow this thing <laughs> from a marketing standpoint? And sorry, yeah. one second, this is like a little imperfect wabi sabi moment, but my, uh, charger needs to be plugged in one second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Now we won't, I won't, I won't disappear in five minutes. (laughs) It's just me talking. (laughs) (laughs) Take it away. So yeah, that is what I did in the beginning. Um, I had a psychology today when it was just me and I just made like flyers and rat cards and I Googled uh, primary care offices that accepted Medicare because I took Medicare and there was a really big need for that. And I knew that. And I just went in there with some cookies and I went to the front desk and said, you know, I'm a therapist in the community. You see Medicare clients, you could refer them to me. And then I would ask if they had like a social worker on staff that I could talk to. Um, or, you know, I would sometimes do like a lunch and learn um, and ask to schedule a lunch for them. And and that kind of depends because they usually expect it to be catered. So just if you're like going to try this, just know that. So yeah. you, if you are going into an office with 30 providers, just think about that. Um, but that that's how I got all of my referral sources and clients at first. And because, and then I would get calls from somebody else and they would be like, oh, Amanda at this, the social worker at this hospital told me about you. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And then of course, eventually as I grew, I did um, have a website and my friend who is an incredible uh, SEO specialist built it for me. And so that also really helped, but it was nice having both. And because I did have both, even when in the slowest of slow times, we were never hurting for clients because we had a specific niche and I had already done all of that groundwork. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. I, w- I used to be in sales and, uh, I didn't love it, you know, like, talk therapy kind of rerouted me out of like the sales track. It did feel kind of forced and, and, um, Mm -hmm. and now that I'm running this business, like I have to do it all the time. 
which yeah. is kind of the irony. Um, I hate you know. it too. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh, here I, here I like totally walked away and then like did a full 360. I'm like back on this path. But there's a difference mm -hmm. because um, for me, I, this is just maybe me or, or you know, a certain <clears throat> characteristic or trait, but I, I don't mind it at all in this form because um, uh, while, well, I'll say while I, I dislike it too, but I don't mind doing it because, uh, or I like it. <laughs> what, what am I saying? <laughs> so, okay. This is what it is, is I dislike it, but I find a way to do it consistently anyway, in a way that's profitable because of sort of the skin in the game that I have running the business and how it focuses me on urgency and just doing what it takes to get it done. And that motivates me much more than the previous games I was in. So that was a really clumsy <laughs> way of going around that. But, you know, I've always shocked how, despite the, the marketing that we do, it's the one-to-one -one conversations and relationships that, you know, in the next week or the next month, they'll come back to me and say, oh, do you know this person? Do you know that person? Can I help you with this? And that's magic because that's really mm -hmm. how this community has grown over the past seven or eight years is it's not mass marketing. Um, our email marketing list performs extremely well and drives transactions and, and mass communication, but really it's like one-to-one. -one. Yep. I totally agree with that because I do still hate it, but now I do exactly what you said. I do it in a way that works for me that I feel comfortable with. And so that's doing really things like this. Like I love being on video and making social media content. And that is where I feel really comfortable. And that works because I, I was on a podcast um, called Clearly Clinical like a couple of weeks ago. And my last three consulting clients all came from that podcast. They were Whoa. like, I heard you and I loved what you had to say. And I'm like, where do I pay you and start? <laughs> so <laughs> it's it works. Well, we have at least 12 subscribers on YouTube. So hopefully, yes. hopefully <laughs> half of them will flock to your door right now. Like, oh my gosh, we want to hire Gabrielle. 12 is more than zero. So <laughs> that's true. That's very true. Yeah. One minute in heaven is better than no minutes in heaven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. Well, um, talk a little bit more about the the Beyond Burnout Retreat in uh, in Belize, and sort of like, do you have your speakers lined up for that, or do you work? Do you do the whole workshop? Talk about some of the format and and what to expect. Yeah, so I went on a retreat last year, and I didn't really know what to expect, and it completely transformed how I work, and really helped lead me on a different, more aligned path. And so that's why I'm doing this, because I'm so passionate about that. And because I think the talk about burnout is changing, which is good, because when we would talk about it, when I was a social worker, a caseworker back like 10 years ago, it was, you know, like self-care, like get a massage. And, you know, we put lavender essential oils on everybody's desk so that you can be calm. And those are good things. Those are important. <laughs> but nobody really explained to me like the deeper part of it, the deeper work that needed to be done. And so that is why I'm doing this. We're going to really 
go deep into using some expressive art stuff, nervous system regulation. I have um, special meditations that I use and that go with my sound healing. And it's just me running it um, because I'm that's how I'm doing this. And it's not, don't come to this and expect to be scheduled back to back. Like I have it so that we are probably going to be doing some stuff together in the mornings because we're in the jungle and it's hot. So we'll be doing, you know, two hours of work together in the morning. And then the rest of the day, I want you to have time to imprint and integrate and enjoy where you are. So if you are active and you want to go cave tubing, you can do that. Or you can just sit in the infinity pool, which is where I'll be for the rest of the afternoon, or you could take a nap, or you can go for a hike or do a chocolate making tour. Like there's, it's kind of like a create your own adventure, but we'll be together and connecting and integrating all kinds of yummy stuff together. Wow. That sounds epic. Is this like a inclusive resort or is this kind of luxury roughing it with the, like, what's the, what's the backdrop? What's the resort like? It's called Sweet Songs Jungle Lodge, and I've stayed. I've stayed there actually because I did a site visit there. But I've stayed at um, the the company that owns it is called Mui Ono, and I've stayed at other resorts of theirs too. It's a little rustic, but it is all inclusive. You get three meals a day and a snack. Snacks are important, and you know you you have a nice room. It has air conditioning. It's very comfortable. You can flush the toilet paper, which you can't do everywhere in Costa Rica. So I was like, okay, it's not that rustic. <laughs> and um, they, it's an eco lodge. Um, Muy Ono donates back to the Belizean community with every reservation, which I love. And all of the food is sourced from their farms. So everything is organic, farm to table. There's no dinner menu. They write the dinner menu on a chalkboard every night based on what they have, but they're able to accommodate any food stuff because I am uh, have a gluten allergy and I'm a pescatarian and I had no problems the entire time I was there. Um, it's amazing. And every morning, this is my favorite part. They put out fruit every morning on this little like table and the toucans come and eat it. And you're like just having coffee and there's a toucan right in front of you eating papaya. It's amazing. <laughs> Like, where am I right now? Yes, like, this is definitely not America, and I would like to stay here forever with yeah. the toucans. Eating the papaya while you hold your piping hot coffee in the infinity pool. Exactly. That's the dream. That's the dream. You're living the dream. You're inspiring. And uh, I would want to encourage you that, uh, you know, those, those like uh, – some of those tough lessons and, you know, the things considered maybe loss or struggle in your life. Um, it's clear that you have the experience and education because you've walked through that fire. So now you're being able to help people who are maybe right in the middle of it, uh, or yes. not, not even sure they're aware of what their challenges are. And so to be able to come in and help people who are doing amazing work, you know, I mean, typically it's this heart, this whole heart driven industry of caring for people and, and their minds and their behaviors, uh, you know, for somebody to, like you to come in and say, man, I want to, I want to help you. And I can, and I've lived mm -hmm. this and there's a way forward that's inspiring and so net positive for the value you're bringing to the world. So I just like celebrate that for you. And 
I'm sure you've like come to that awareness already, but it's so obvious as you tell your story. And, um, you know, we want, we kind of want everything to just go up and to the right all the time, right? Like we yeah. want just wins, no losses. Um, but I'm, I'm telling you that like, as I learn to embrace the wavelengths of life, you know, like, um, which everything that's healthy is that way, you know, it's like the ocean or sound or the way mm -hmm. light travels or, um, anything, water, um, our heartbeat, you know, uh, everything, our, our lungs and our lives. So, you know, it's, there's this concept of, um, like you draw the, the bow back, you know, in order yeah. to shoot the arrow. And it's along those lines. Like we don't want it to feel down. We don't want to be in the Valley and that feels bad. And, and we have to live with that, but it could just mean that, man, you're just about ready to launch. And it sounds like yes. that's what you did. That gave me chills. Thank mm. you. <laughs> and I think that is what I did is, and it is hard to see it right when you're in the midst of it and you, it just, you know, I had to make that conscious effort and I still have to, but because I went through all of that, it has brought me to this place of doing something that is more aligned with what I love to do and how I can really help people. And I don't have to do that in one-on-one -on -one therapy, which is what I thought was the only way for me before. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I was in Oregon, I was also doing a site visit for a retreat I'm co-hosting next April. And we did a ropes course. And I'm kind of afraid of heights, but I was like, it'll be fine. I'm just going like, to push through it. I'll be okay. It's not that scary. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it was that scary and uh, for me. And, you know, I'm clipped in and yeah. I'm in the trees and I'm going across literally a tight rope. Um, I don't even know, maybe like 20 feet, but yeah. it was terrifying. And I was like 70 feet off the ground and I'm going and I'm going really slow. And when I was in the middle of it, I started crying and I was like, I'm really afraid. Like, I can't, I can't do this, but I didn't have a choice. <laughs> you know, there's nowhere else to go. So I, you know, I got over and I had never been so happy to be on that platform. <laughs> and it just, it reminds me of this. Like when you are in the middle of it and you're crying and you're scared and you're upset, you can't see where you're going. But when you get to that other side, like you're so grateful that you were able to move through that. Yeah. And the way that fear just takes over. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I mean, the, just a quick, we're coming kind of the top of the hour, but, um, just a quick, just to circle it back to dogs. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if we could just talk about my dog for another few minutes here. Um, <laughs> no, we, um, we were outside one day and, um, there's this hot air balloon festival in town. It's beautiful. And, uh, they like to like dip down into the neighborhood and kind of, you know, you can wave at the people floating by and it's cool. And my dog was out there with us and this hot air balloon, uh, you know, kind of dips down. And then as they do, they like put the fire on, you know, to fill up the balloon again with heat to get it back up into the sky. And it makes that kind of roaring, you know, sound. Mm. And, um, so we're still like watching up in the sky. Well, my dog thinks the sun is falling to earth, like in oh. a hot fireball flame <laughs> round thing. He's like, oh my gosh. And so he just <laughs> runs. He just darts. And um, when we look back, we didn't even know he had run, but there's no dog there. And there's a, 
there was no way to communicate to our dog that this is okay. This is something you may not be able to comprehend right now, but it's safe and it's uh, it's actually kind of fun. He thought, okay, it's over. And what a bummer that he left us. <laughs> you know, he didn't bark or anything. He's just like, I'm out of here. But yeah. that's that's what it. And we we had to drive around the whole neighborhood. We thought we lost him. Oh, and uh, oh my god! Then I'm driving down a street and I see a glass door to somebody's house and my dog is in there just like looking out like oh my gosh we found him so it had a happy ending but you know whether you're you're at the point of no return on the rope bridge and you're freaking out and crying it's how do you because you've done a lot of work with the nervous system and the polyvagal theory and like tell us something about what you can do to overcome that freak out moment you got to lean in. <laughs> so nobody wants to do that. And that is actually, I was thinking of that when I was up there too. I was like, <laughs> my, my friend was calling me the polyvagal princess because I talk about it so much. <laughs> and I'm like, you're the polyvagal princess. You got to do it. You got to do the work that you tell everybody else about. And that is what I did. I had to lean in. I had to feel it. I had to cry. And I said, like, what am I, what am I afraid of? Like, what is this trying to tell me? And I just had to be present with it. And I had to hold that very intense fear and anxiety and emotion. And when I did that and I didn't push it away, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm here. I'm safe. I've like acknowledged the fear. I've acknowledged what I'm afraid of. And I am coming back to the moment. Like I noticed my breathing. I started, you know, focusing on that and just being really present and grounded and being like, just move your foot a little bit, move it a little bit to the right and just keep shuffling. Don't think about anything else, but moving that right foot until you feel solid ground. And that's what I did. And the other part of this story is that once I did that, I said, yes, I never have to go back over that ever again. I'm fine. But the problem was from where the platform was, where I was at, the other two ways to go were much harder and much scarier. And so my only way to go back was <laughs> to go back over that fucking tightrope again. <laughs> and I, I couldn't do it. And so that yeah. was the other part of this is that I asked for help and mm. I, I started crying again. <laughs> I was like, I can't do it. And so the instructor came up and she, we went over together. So that's the other piece is to ask for help when you need it. Cause I know that that's also really hard and it was hard for me, but I, I was like, I need help to be able to do this again. I can't do it on my own. That's huge. Uh, to your point about collaboration and having people around you to support you and what you can get done and n no shame, right? Like in asking <laughs> for help, you know, like mm -hmm. that's, that's part of what we're wrestling here with on the, on the mental health kind of awareness side of things is the the stigma of asking for help sometimes as a it comes out as a symptom of our challenge like what yeah. it just happened with you it was like oh man i got i don't want to go back ever again and um i don't want to ask for help either but i'm going to ask for help and good for you um because there's a stigma associated with that too like the solution sometimes whatever that mm -hmm. is um that's amazing. You know, I don't, I don't have a fear of, of heights. Um, so it's easy for me to listen to that story with a little bit of judgment, actually like, well, come on, like, it's just mm -hmm. a rope bridge, you know? Yeah. And that's so lame of me that I even have still that echo. Uh, so I'm like, I'm speaking it out right now because I just noticed a flicker of it. Like, come on, it's not that hard. 
it is that hard for you. Mm-hmm. It is that hard for you. And I, you know, <laughs> I, there's no discounting that. And I have literally a hundred scenarios that I would do the same thing in, but it just happens not to be a rope bridge. (laughs) I mean, and that's totally fine. Like you have to acknowledge that. And I even had that same thought too, when I was on the ground and even now when I'm looking back on it, I'm like, it really wasn't that bad. Why were you so upset? But that is like the negative self-talk that I have and that has not just in this instance, but in a lot of other instances, when I sold my practice, I had similar thoughts. When I stopped doing therapy, I had similar thoughts. And those are just, you know, parts of me that are maybe trying to protect something or, you know, that maybe need a little bit of attention. Um, So it's important that we acknowledge those things and not just try and push them away. Yeah. Attention and maybe to come full circle um, love, right? Like, um, the way that we can embrace ourselves as if we were somebody else, you know, like if we can get to that observer state where we can talk about ourselves and as an aside, it's so fascinating to watch people commonly struggle to brag about themselves because it's socially (laughs) not what we're trained to do. You know, you Mm kind of can get slapped down a little bit for that. Um, but, uh, I don't know. There's like a place for it. Like you can swing the pendulum too far. And I find that most of us swing the pendulum too far to say, I, I don't know that I can really brag about what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I get the benefit of not having to to step into those shoes. I'm always asking everybody else, hey, why don't you, why don't you go on that rope yes. bridge, huh? <laughs> yeah, looks high. Um, but, you know, I don't know where I'm going with that thought, but. It's hard. Oh, yeah. And- it's, it's funny because I also talked about this with my therapist like two weeks ago and I was like, I have such a hard time being confident. And even though I've done all these things and people say I'm successful, like I don't really see it that way. And I'm afraid I'm going to turn into this like egotistical asshole who like, you know, is super self-centered. And she was like, what do you think the odds of that actually happening are? Like, I I guess probably not very much, but still that's the fear that I have. (laughs) What if she said, well, you're, you're kind of already that. So I know. I mean, then I'd be like, Ooh, <laughs> Ooh I need a new therapist. Your therapist needs a therapist now. Uh, no, you're definitely not that. That was a joke. Uh, you're delightful to talk to and to get to know better. Um, I'm stoked to see you in person in September at the mental Yay. health marketing conference. You're going to speak there. Thank you for bringing your expertise there. And, um, Last question is a fun one. Um, Tell us something that you're reading or listening to. It could be a a podcast or a a record or a book, Um, something you've, you don't have to have completed it, but just what's something, some kind of content you're taking in these days. Uh, I just finished a book that, people have mixed feelings about and it's by Jen is it Cicero or Sincero she's a coach um and the book is called you're a badass at making money and so people have strong feelings about it because it's like not really trauma informed and it's really not can feel um dismissive of mental health and trauma but that's not why I was listening to it I was listening to it specifically for money mindset help and it really it really has changed the way that I think about myself and how I put myself out there and my own limiting beliefs. Um, 
So, you know, you can take it or leave it. Some of it is kind of cheesy because it is coaching, but it did, it has helped me think about things from a different perspective and from a different way. And I have noticed that when I take in some of those things and some of the things that I had felt like ashamed about and I've, I've looked at them and I've worked through it, um, I can see that the shifts are coming in, in my business and, and my life. So I really enjoyed it. Some, sometimes when I, that sounds interesting. I'm going to pick it up. Sometimes when I read a book, it's, it's, it's almost like difficult to pick out a specific point. It's like, it just goes into the soup and then, you know, it starts to be activated. Is there, is it possible for you to pull out like an idea or a, a concept that really resonated with you or something you're applying from that book? Yeah. So she, one of the things that she talks about is like, you know, you are not greedy or a bad person because you want to make money. And I think that has been difficult as a social worker. We've always, at least for me, in like the groups that I've run in, not now, but in the past, that's always kind of been the messaging is like, you need to help people and you should be happy with your $30,000 a year and you'll just have to be broke forever. And this... I had already started doing work on that, but the way she frames it in the book is really helpful that like, you know, you, it doesn't make you a bad person to want money and you can even do more with your life and help more people if you have that. So it's helped change my, my thought patterns and my mindset around that. Nice. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, and for the context of that book, that's helpful. I didn't know, I didn't know the background, but, um, so I'll read it with open, two open eyes. Um, but <laughs> Gabrielle, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for coming on to the boost. And, um, again, excited to see you in September, but, uh, I guess we'll wrap there. Hope you have a good one. Thanks for having me, Steve. For sure. You may know you're listening to this show along the marketing podcast network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.